Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. The focus of this installment is an article about the pharmacy dimensions of planning a field hospital in preparation for a potential surge in novel coronavirus infections. With me are Dr. Deb Wagner and Dr. Karen Durant of the Department of Pharmacy Services and Clinical Pharmacy at the University of Michigan Health System in Ann Arbor. My take on your paper is twofold. Uh, first, you're encouraging pharmacy leaders at major healthcare facilities to plan for potential surges in novel coronavirus infections. And second, you offer guidance for the pharmacy-related facets of planning a field hospital to accommodate a surge in demand for hospital services. Karen, is that consistent with what you set out to achieve with this paper? Yes, I think it's absolutely what we set out to achieve as we underwent the process of developing a field hospital and almost implementing one. Um, thankfully, we didn't have to, but we felt like it was very important for healthcare systems to really be more proactive in planning for the, the potential need for a field hospital and having plans in place to be able to quickly deploy one rather than waiting until capacity reached the point where it was a necessity where no plans were in place. So we really hope to provide a guide and some steps and things that other institutions could think about so they could proactively plan and be ready to deal with potentially a second surge or a pandemic in the future. Um, I think it's even more important today as we see cases starting to increase in other states um, across the country and as those ICU beds are starting to fill up and those hospitals are starting to reach capacity in a few areas, hopefully this paper would help provide some guidance so they could be able to plan for if and when they need to open, you know, a secondary site. Indeed. Uh, Deb, uh, turning to you, to, to help frame this discussion, could you comment on any unique variables at Michigan Medicine that affected your planning for a field hospital? For example, the size of the field facility and uh, its proximity to pharmacy operations in the main hospital. Sure, Bill. Uh, there were a lot of factors that really went into this planning. Uh, it really kind of goes back to the infancy of our oversight from our Executive uh, Committee for Disaster Preparedness uh, in that we created a mathematical modeling uh, starting probably the middle of March that looked at what the doubling rate was of the viral load uh, for patient census. Uh, and at the time, uh, middle of March, we were doubling our uh, COVID expected patient load or census by every three days. So based on this model and the capacity that we thought we had for 300 or so ICU beds, uh, we projected that by the 9th of April, uh, we would have to open at least 500 beds uh, in a field hospital setting. 
So we had a very short window of time to work with, and some of the things that really came to be highlighted when we, we went around to assess uh, campus areas, because we're affiliated with the University of Michigan, uh, where we had the potential to set up a field hospital that would have, uh, obviously, things like security for pharmacy, but also um, provided for both nursing and pharmacy line of sight. Uh, for instance, we looked and evaluated using, using dorm rooms. Uh, we had a great secure location for a pharmacy there, uh, but we and we had IT and card reader access to the room, but we didn't have a clear line of sight. It would create a lot of chaos for nursing. Uh, I think that partnering with nursing is, is really important. Uh, we had to look at areas at how you would have security, uh, clean, dirty areas. Uh, did we have a loading dock? How close was the loading dock to bring medications, say, from our main hospital pharmacy uh, to the off-site facility? Uh, the IT uh, capabilities of the facility, so uh, which really drove whether or not we could use either our internal uh, electronic medication ordering system or whether we would have to revert to using an old-fashioned paper system. Uh, so really, our scope uh, for not only just pharmacy operations in general, but everything really depended on all of those factors uh, being baked in until we settled on our final location, which actually gave pharmacy quite a bit of space for both verifying orders, the capability to have our electronic health record be integrated with the health system, uh, and then at the same time we had card reader access, security, uh, you know, storage for narcotics, and also infrastructure uh, to actually have in, uh, IT support and Ethernet capabilities for putting in automated dispensing machines. Uh, because without that, uh, you know, you don't have the capability of using some of these uh, higher-level uh, pharmacy dispensing uh, mechanisms. Right. Karen, your paper mentions five factors or determinants that had to be thought through as the first step in planning for the pharmacy services of the field hospital. Now, I know this is not the primary focus of your paper, but I think listeners will be interested in what those factors were. Could you comment on that? Sure, I'd be happy to. One of the first things that we thought was very important to identify were just what the pharmacy operations would be at an off-site location. That wouldn't necessarily determine what medications we would have, but did play into how many medications and what type of medications. So some of the things that we feel are very important to consider are the scope of the clinical services and what will be offered at the field hospital in relation to the main medical campus. Also, just the number and type of pharmacy staff necessary. Um, and so as we started to look at our models, we started to look at how many people do we need on site for technicians, for pharmacists, looking at a 24-hour operation, whether or not then those staff would be redeployed from the hospital or hired specifically just to work in the field hospital. And as everyone I'm sure is aware, you know, with uh, the pandemic and some of the issues and burden on the economic side of things, that's a consideration that people really need to take a look at in health systems, which is whether or not you would be able to hire additional people or you need to move people from one area to another to staff. 
We also thought it was very important for institutions to think about whether or not you were going to use an electronic health record, an order entry system, or if you were going to be on paper at a remote site. So what kind of IT capabilities do you have and what would be expected of a staff that would be working there? And then the other key thing that we felt was important was just to have a balance uh, the workflow relating to pharmacist patient profile review and order verification with dispensing. And so when you're trying to determine your field hospital operations, it's really key to think about what pieces could be done, remote order verification, things of that nature where somebody doesn't necessarily have to be on site or people could handle orders from for multiple locations uh, versus people who need to be on site to actually handle the distributive services. What types of patients do you anticipate would be referred from your main hospital to the field hospital? Well, that's a good question, Bill, because I think we spent a lot of time, or I did, uh, speaking with the physicians at the site. Uh, we often went back and forth about what was the potential level of acuity we could manage uh, at a 500-bed field hospital. Basically, if you can imagine a track and field building with 500 cots divided into pods, and that that's a tremendous number of patients to service with a limited number of people. Um, not only mentioning is really the key was we really wanted patients who were really relatively low to moderate risk. Uh, we had some criteria that we worked with physicians on that patients who were going to be transferred to the field hospital a hospital uh, needed to be pretty much clinically stable, not requiring escalating uh, pain man management, uh, escalating levels of uh, oxygen support, um, and really patients who didn't need to be on infusions of medications because we realized we would be severely limited in our capacity to supply uh, smart pumps uh, to the off-site facility. And so we really had to have patients who really didn't require infusions of medications. Uh, we really wanted them to at least have been in an inpatient bed for 48 hours to make sure they were clinically stable, uh, to be afebrile, so hopefully they weren't uh, transmitting more viral load, uh, and receiving uh, low levels of oxygen support. Uh, really, those were the keys so that we could really drive that formulary with having either oral or injectable medications that didn't require, as I mentioned, uh, a large volume infusion pump to run. Um, we did kind of anticipate that we may at some point have patients that would maybe not, they would meet the criteria, but often these COVID patients relapse pretty quickly. Uh, so we did take into the effect that we should still have, uh, you know, rescue medications if we needed to transfer patients back uh, to our primary hospital site. Uh, but really, we didn't want uh, a real high acuity of patients. We also looked at patients who may not be able to go home. Uh, they didn't have the needs to take care of themselves or they couldn't go to a nursing home facility because there was no one to take them. Uh, so we looked at accommodating that patient population as well. And ideally, mm -hmm. we wanted those patients to be able to ambulate because, uh, you know, obviously in that kind of a footprint, uh, you need to really have people be able to, you know, take care of themselves, bathe, you know, 
uh, yeah. those type of things uh, had to be thought about as well. So, Right. Well, Karen, um, a major part of your paper deals with planning a limited formulary for the field hospital. Uh, just sticking to the high-level considerations here, uh, why was this step so important? Well, we felt it was extremely important to have a limited formulary since this would be an off-site facility and would not be as accessible for the medications that were on our main campus. And so by limiting the formulary, that would allow us to appropriately treat the patients but not have to carry too many medications to where space or the distribution became an issue. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a summary of the approach you used to develop the formulary for the field hospital? What we ended up doing was working very, very closely with our pharmacy analytics pharmacists. Um, and I will give a shout out to him because he did a fantastic job putting together a Tableau dashboard, which brought information in on the medications for patients who had been identified as COVID positive. And so we were able to take our dashboard and narrow that down to not only COVID positive patients, but then those that were on general care units versus ICU. By doing that, then we could review those patients for their current inpatient med orders, what the anticipated usage would be for a 500 bed field hospital. And then from there, we would be able to look at how much drug supply we wanted to keep on site versus drug supply that we'd have to bring in on a daily basis. We also then took a deeper dive into some of the patients to look at their medication histories for some of the more common disease states and maintenance medications that we might need to carry so that we wouldn't have any gaps in therapy. And so we did all of that with the work um, in coordination with our analytics team. Once we had that initial formulary, then we also looked at some of the information from the Strategic National Stockpile and from uh, FEMA. We reached out to other providers who had experience with military-style field hospitals, and we worked with our frontline providers and pharmacists and nurses to ensure that the list we had put together, it did end up being about 140 medications, but that the list we had put together would treat a majority of the patients um, you know, with those medications and not require a significant number of additional meds. One of the other things I think Deb touched on was just the type of meds that we looked at. And so we broke those down to different comfort meds versus antidotes and rescue medications to step down antibiotics and some different classes and tried to limit to one or two from a class or a liquid alternatives for some of the more common things and really limiting the injectables to those that could be given by IV push. Mm -hmm. Well, Deb, uh, you gave a lot of thought to the medication distribution workflow uh, in the field hospital. What were a few of the key decisions you had to make in this regard? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the first and driving decision had to be whether or not we were going to be able to support our internal electronic health record uh, and not use a paper system. Uh, that really drove a lot of the decision as to how medications would be managed and reviewed. 
we were fortunate that we were able to connectively attach all of our electronic system as well as the data ports for automated dispensing machines. But we realized, you know, automated dispensing machines are costly. They would need a profile established. Uh, we really didn't feel that we could, not only space-wise in the facility, but cost-wise, uh, support more than probably seven or eight uh, automated dispensing cabinets. We had to then look at the physical layout of the floor of the space, uh, where we had data, where those machines could go. But really, you have to integrate that with nursing as to how nursing is going to align their staff-patient ratios. Uh, so we work closely, closely with nursing to determine how many beds would be in a pod that would have so many nurses and would have a sort of a mini nursing station. And then we determined that we would put the controlled substances and also PRN medications in the automated dispensing machines, and we would use our main kind of patient fill uh, for daily meds uh, to be distributed in what we called moving kind of, we didn't, it's really not in the paper, but we looked at mobile moving carts uh, that had individual compartments or trays to hold the capacity for the number of patients per pod so that they would be lockable moving carts that the nurse could actually move up and down rows of patients and each cart would have uh, trays uh, for that pod labeled by patient. And we would then have our pharmacy folks, because the pharmacy, you have to, in a pandemic, really draw the line of where a clean and dirty area are. Uh, and we really wanted to minimize exposure of pharmacy staff to the dirty side, uh, where the COVID positive patients were. So we established a process. Our pharmacy was in the clean space. Uh, we would have the medications all packaged from that clean space. Uh, we had a transfer cart uh, that our pharmacy techs would then take to what would be a staging area that was half clean, half dirty. Uh, that cart would go in to the dirty space and would be unloaded into the individual pod carts. Then it would be brought back to the staging area, completely cleaned, washed down, and then brought back out of that space. Uh, so. Working with nursing uh, really is key to how they're going to be dispensing medications as to how pharmacy dispense. And I think we did a really nice job of integrating as a team, uh, really figuring out that, that plan of delivery. Mm -hmm. Well, at uh, this moment, we're, we're having this conversation on July 9th, 2020. Uh, some parts of the country are undergoing a surge in novel coronavirus infections. What are you experiencing or anticipating in Michigan, and what are the implications for your field hospital plants? Karen, would you start with us? Sure. Well, as you alluded to, there are several sections of the country um, and several states where they're seeing quite a surge in the coronavirus infections, um, places such as Florida, Texas, Arizona have have seen a, a very large increase in the number of cases, positive cases being reported daily. In Michigan, we're starting to see a little bit of a trend, but we have not seen what 
you know, the same amount of growth that we saw early on in the pandemic, but it's something that Michigan Medicine is keeping a very, very close eye on, and we do have these field hospital plans in place, so should we reach the point where we again look at the doubling rates and the anticipated number of inpatients, if we reach that point that we know we need to move forward with the field hospital, we're confident that the plans that we already have in place and our processes will allow us to open that in under a two-week time frame. Deb, anything to add? I would say I agree with Karen. We're kind of watching and, and waiting. Um, Michigan Medicine, we've been kind of fortunate that our census is actually very, very low, but around three, surrounding regions in Michigan, uh, they are seeing a, a pretty good bump in the number of patients. But the one thing that we learned from the first kind of development of the field hospital plan is we, as an institution, had every group involved, pharmacy, respiratory, nursing, physicians, actually go back and write down a workflow of all of the things that we had looked at and worked through that would need to be done in the future should we need to go forward again. So we documented uh, everything that was discussed, the planning, the layout, the medication distribution, the delivery, the um, everything from you know formulary, non-formulary, how do we manage that? Uh, it's all very well documented so that even if I'm not there, uh, you, you somebody could go right in and have a roadmap. So I, I think the key really is for anybody looking down the road is really partnering with the other folks that are engaged in, you know, providing care in a field hospital, uh, plan to be very nimble. Uh, often maybe pharmacy isn't as nimble as other departments might be. So I think it's really a good time to, you know, sometimes you have to act and maybe correct and go back and readjust. Um, and the only other thing I would really add is that I think Michigan did really well uh, for our field hospital experience or getting ready was that our executive leadership really strategically picked people who were to be there developing the field hospital. And by that, I mean, we had uh, military background nurses. We had military background physicians. Uh, we had myself who's worked in disaster preparedness for many years, but people who, uh, for instance, the military physicians were used to working with a limited formulary. So when we kind of pushed on that, they were like, yeah, we can do that. So then, you know, that you've crossed one barrier already. Well, as we draw our conversation to a close, I want to give each of you a chance to uh, share with listeners any final comments or advice. Uh, maybe I'll go back to you, Karen, at this point, and uh, what would you add, if anything, in your mind at, at this stage? I think I would just highly encourage every health system, if they haven't started the planning process for a field hospital, that they start those conversations now and start the planning and not wait until they know they're going to need it to start that process. I think from a field hospital formulary perspective, I also want to stress that although we came up with 140 roughly medications on our field hospital formulary, that has to remain flexible. We by no means think if we opened a field hospital a month from now, should we need to, that those meds would be exactly the same. It has to be based off current treatment models, what your patient population is, and 
you have to remain flexible to know that you're going to have to adjust that as you go. So I don't want anybody to think that we would be locked into necessarily this formulary. We had several versions of it as we changed what our main COVID treatments were. And so it's really just important to keep that in mind. Deb, uh, any final comments from you, advice for listeners? You know, I think Karen summarized it uh, exactly as we think of it. It's really important to get a snapshot of your own institution and your own patients and, and, and really do that deep dive into the, your current population and seeing what the medication needs are. You know, some medications that we picked are universal. Uh, you know you're going to need uh, things, for instance, as for, say, delirium. Uh, you know, anybody in a 500-bed field hospital is probably going to have some sleepless nights. Some things will have commonality, but others will be directed based on what your patient population looks like as well as where the directions in current therapy are going. Mm-hmm. Well, Deb and Karen, thank you so much for taking time for this conversation about your AJHP paper. And uh, my best wishes to you and all your colleagues at uh, Michigan Medical for the good work you're doing. Thank you so much. For AJHP Voices, this is William Zelmer. I've been speaking with Dr. Deb Wagner and Dr. Karen Durant of the University of Michigan Health System about plans they and colleagues formulated for the pharmacy operations of a field hospital that was conceptualized to deal with a potential surge in novel coronavirus infections. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.